Welcome everyone to our first session of the podcast, Standardize, where we investigate how standards play a role in everyone's lives. And right now we're in very hot and sunny Scottsdale um, at the American Society of Mechanical Engineers Bioprocessing Equipment Standard Committee meeting. And so by the end of the session, you'll know a lot more about the standard because we're here and we're sitting with Bill Hewitt, who is a very active member of the ASME BPE committee. Hello. Hello. <laughs> and he's here with us right now. Um, and so uh, Bill Hewitt has been involved in industrial piping design, engineering, and construction since 1965. He's been a design engineer, piping design instructor, product engineer, project supervisor, piping department supervisor, engineering manager, and president of W.M. Hewitt Company a piping consulting firm founded in 1987. Um, and so his experience covers both the engineering and construction fields and crosses industry lines to include petroleum refining, chemical, petrochemical, pharmaceutical, bioprocessing, pulp and paper, nuclear power, biofuel, and coal gasification. And so Mr. Hewitt has written numerous specifications, guidelines, papers, and magazine articles on, top, on the topic of piping design and engineering. And he's, as the book, Bioprocessing, Piping, and Equipment Design, a Companion Guide to the ASME BPE Standard. And Bill is a member of the B31.3 Section Committee and Chair Subgroup H on High Purity Piping, a member of four ASME BPE subcommittees and several task groups, ASME Board on, on Conformity Assessment for BPE Certification, where he serves as Vice Chair, the gathering at which we are doing this podcast in Scottsdale, Arizona. So that was a very long introduction, and there so you have a very yeah, impressive now. background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're done. That, We're that's done. all we needed you for. That's all we needed. And uh, what what's the role that you play here? Um, I am um, a member of the uh, conformity assessment group on BPE uh, certification, and I'm also on the uh, subcommittee for certification. I'm also on the subcommittee for uh, materials uh, joining and material, uh, metallic materials, uh, and the general requirements group. And uh, those are the groups that I'm involved in. So what Mr. Hewitt is talking about here are chapters of a book, namely the ASME Bioprocessing Equipment Standard, or ASME BPE as we will refer to it. Groups that Bill belongs to work on certain sections of the standard to wordsmith the best possible way of advising the industry about safe and efficacious ways of putting together high purity systems. Now Bill is going to tell us about what is involved in being a member of each of these chapter groups. Basically it's a matter of uh, discussing uh, new information that comes across in the industry and see about getting it implemented into the uh, standard as well as uh, uh, the members finding stuff because we're constantly going through this and reviewing what the contents and so forth. And uh, so uh, a lot of the uh, standard contents uh, comes from either members themselves, uh, from uh, new uh, product that's out in the industry, and from uh, readers that have questions about issues. And sometimes those questions uh, point out something that we haven't caught and causes us to revise uh, the standard in some form. As users utilize the ASME BPE, they come up across interpretation issues or missing cases that apply to them. The users then speak up and let the committee, to which Bill belongs, know about these matters, and the committee responds appropriately. What responsibilities do you have? Uh, my responsibility, and it also involves task groups. And uh, what task groups are 
if we get into a discussion uh, during a meeting uh, that starts to get more complex as we discuss it, uh, then what the chair of that subcommittee will do is he'll call a halt to it and we'll uh, establish a uh, task group to resolve the issue, whatever that issue might be. And it may just be new content. It may not be an issue, it may just be new content that somebody has proposed. And uh, if, if it starts getting into the weeds and starts getting too complex, then what he does is form this task group, uh, which consists usually of three to five people. We want to keep it small so it, you, know, you don't have another boardroom meeting to try and resolve these things. You do it best with small groups. And so we take, the, uh, take this task, assign uh, people to it, volunteers, raise their hand, yeah, I'll be part of this task group. And then uh, once you get a group established, then you assign a chair. Uh, which the chair usually does, unless somebody's already volunteered to chair this. And uh, then they'll go offline between these types of meetings that we're having in Scottsdale right now, and they'll, they'll uh, meet on their own, Zoom meetings or whatever it takes, and try to resolve the issue. And then at the next meeting, they'll come back and say, well, this is not a viable uh, content for the code or, or the standard. And so uh, we're not going to take it any further. Or they may come back and say, okay, here's a proposal. You know, this is very viable. This needs to go into the standard. And so this is our proposal. So they'll write up a proposal, present it to the committee, and then the committee will vote on it and whether or not to go forward with it. And uh, then once it gets past that stage, the proposal will turn into a ballot. And they'll ballot the subject to the uh, committee. Everybody votes on it. And uh, this, we don't necessarily do this in the meeting itself because we need to record these votes and uh, who voted yes, who voted no, who abstained and so forth. And so the uh, uh, ballot will go out and then this, the first group to vote on this is the standards group, the ones that just resolved the issue or brought up the issue and set up a proposal through the task group. Once they vote on it, it goes to the next level, which is a standards committee. And the standards committee uh, votes on it. And if it's approved to the Standards Committee, then it goes to the board. And then it, when it, after it goes to the board uh, and the board approves it, then it goes to ANSI, which is uh, ANSI, American National Standards Institute. And uh, ANSI governs how we function on voting, on uh, balanced uh, committees, and, uh, and so on. So ANSI controls all that. And so they have to look through it. And basically what they do, they don't look at necessarily at the technical content, but they look, do look at how the voting was carried out and uh, properly done and so forth, so that uh, nothing is untoward, so that uh, uh, you don't have, uh, like the fitting manufacturers, overruling the users, you know, because they got more votes. So you have to have a balanced committee with all players, uh, fabricators, uh, owners, users, uh, fitting manufacturers, valve manufacturers, that type of thing. So nobody's outnumbered. And uh, so basically that's the way it works in a nutshell. I guess my next question would be, uh, what kind of standard is the ASME BPE? Okay, we have uh, like a B31 standard, all in the ASME. Uh, we have uh, construction codes and safety codes, which includes the boiler, uh, uh, boiler pressure vessel code, and uh, we also have B31.3 piping and uh, a whole uh, list of B31 codes, which are uh, which includes uh, 
uh, utility piping, process piping, hydrogen piping, and so on. So there's a long list of those. Those are safety standards as well as construction codes. And so they're mainly concerned with uh, keeping people from engineers or whoever from designing systems that could explode. <laughs> and because uh, a lot of them operate under high pressures and high temperatures. Now, let's just take a second to define the difference between a code and a standard. When a standard has been adopted by governmental bodies and has the force of law, it becomes a code. A standard also becomes a code when it has been incorporated into a business contract. A code is a set of rules that experts in the field recommend people to follow. It is a model. Although it is not a law, it can be adopted into law. A code tells you what needs to be done, but it doesn't explain how it should be done. Now let's get back to Mr. Hewitt. The BPE standard is basically uh, a two function. It's a design standard as well as a uh, uh, construction standard. Whereas the other codes, the B31 codes, do not have design comp, uh, uh, content in their, in their codes. And uh, so what we look at in BPE is, uh, is basically uh, focused on sanitary conditions because what we don't want to have is a, 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 chemical, or a pharmaceutical facility manufacturing adulterated product. You don't want to stick a needle in your arm and with something that's, that's uh, got particulate in it that shouldn't be in there. So everything we do is based on uh, the sanitization, hygienics, uh, however you want to say it. And so we refer to this as high purity piping. And that includes equipment and everything else that goes into these systems that comes in contact uh, with the fluid. And uh, it, has to, it has to have a certain su uh, surface quality uh, weld quality so that it doesn't hold up any material uh, between batches because a lot of these uh, processes are run in batches. They'll run a batch for a while, shut it down, clean it, set it up, run another batch, so forth and so on. So what you don't want to have, you want, want to be able to clean these systems to where it, on a microscopic level there's no residual from the previous process run. And so uh, we have to make these things to where these systems uh, to where they're cleanable. And uh, so we run uh, what they call CIP or SIP, which is clean in place or uh, steam in place or sanitization in place. And uh, so we use different chemicals in the CIP solution as well as the sanitary steam, which, uh, uh, which the heat kills the bacteria in the system. So, uh, and they have, the systems have to be designed for that. So you can't have any low points where water or processed fluid can congregate and you can't get out, can't remove. So everything has to be sloped to a certain degree and so forth, so. My next question would be, uh, how does the standard affect businesses and individuals? It makes working around these plants and facilities a lot safer. And uh, so if you've ever walked into any of these facilities, you're gonna see pipe runs all over the place and, and equipment and all this and stuff moving uh, fluids moving through these piping systems and equipment and what we don't want to happen is uh, from a sanitary standpoint is uh, some uh, bacteria to get in the piping system or get in the equipment and secondly we don't want anything to leak or spill or blow up the pipe and get it on people you know which has happened in the past uh, to you know years ago
uh, and so we try to prevent that. So it's both a safety and a, a, a hygienic concern, high purity concern, uh, when we're working on the standard. Like, how does the standard affect society? Yeah, these are all interrelated questions. Mm -hmm. the, kind of and and uh, you know, basically, it affects society by by providing uh, good pharmaceutical bioprocessing or you know biochemicals uh, that are safe to use. So when you get uh, uh, when you get something injected in your arm or a pill to take or or a liquid to swallow, you can be assured that it's uh, it's gone through a lot of requirements. Uh, in order to make that solution, or whatever it is, uh, uh, unadulterated. What's the process of creating these standards? Uh, it's very complicated. <laughs> and uh, what, uh, what we do, and I kind of touched on this earlier, that uh, the, the process is, uh, it's, the whole process is set up with, like I mentioned earlier, uh, a balanced contingent of members on any committee. Each committee has got the, and we, we track this all the time. We've got everybody assigned to a different, you know, if they're a fabricator, a designer, or an engineer, or a manufacturer, they're listed as such. And we keep track of how many of which discipline there is in, the, uh, in that list. And so we make sure that we don't have 20 fitting manufacturers and two users, you know and maybe a couple of designers. We make sure that it doesn't get out of balance so any one uh, group cannot outvote the other group. And uh, so this, and it, it also brings a lot of uh, different uh, perspective to, to what we talk about in our discussions. Uh, you, so you've got, got the end user that knows what he wants and what he's dealt with in the past, and he wants to simplify it and make it easier and you got the fabricator that's dealing with their own issues. So you got, and then you got the fitting manufacturers that have their own issues. So everybody brings this on any any discussion, brings all these different perspectives to bear on that topic, on the, what they were, whatever that issue is. And then uh, it goes from there. And then, like I mentioned to you about the voting process, you know, it goes multi-tiered, and it goes through all these processes. And if there's any negatives. They have to be responded to. If somebody says, uh, that's incorrect, I don't like that, you know, then you have to respond to that. You have to change it, whatever the proposal is, or you have to go back to that person and convince them that they're wrong, you know, which <laughs> doesn't happen in a lot of cases. Uh, so once you get past that and then you, it goes up multi-tiered, like I mentioned, before it even uh, gets to the uh, standard itself. And once it gets to uh, ANSI and the board, and gets approved, and uh, then it gets slated in, in a queue to go into the next issue. And uh, so that's basically it. But all the, you know, like I say, in, in the, all the, the content in that standard comes from readers, from members, and uh, just from, uh, you know, as we get into the future, I mean, you got different equipment out there and all this kind of stuff that, that you want to bring into the standard if it's applicable. Who decides what the standard should be? Give you an example, and I'll, give it, I'll make, make it BPE. Uh, back in the 1980s, we had, uh, we were still building pharmaceutical plants at that time, but it was a lot more difficult because none of the, none of the fittings were, if you, if you purchase fittings, elbows and T's and all that, tubing fittings, uh, you had to buy them from the same manufacturer. 
because they didn't necessarily line up. And we have what we call a tangent length on these on elbows and, and teeves and so forth so that uh, we use a, uh, an automatic arboral welder uh, to weld these joints together because it gives a, 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 an excellent weld. You can control the weld and, and not get uh, what we call uh, rouge in the heat affected zone and uh, discoloration. Hold up. Some technical terms have been used that may need a bit of unpacking. First of all, picture a piece of pipe bent into an elbow shape. It has a kink. A tangent length is the length on either side of the bend, and the longer that length, the greater we say is the tangent length. A long tangent length creates a section of straight pipe that an orbital welder can accommodate. What is an orbital welder? A specialized orbital welding machine does a good job at welding by rotating the welding arc at a 360 degree angle around the clamped tubes and pipes being welded. This machinery takes up space, and so the tangent length will accommodate the orbital welding machine. Finally, rouge has been mentioned. The term rouge comes from the French word for red, and the most familiar version of rouge runs from orange to red-brown in color. However, the variation in chemistry and source can lead to deposits appearing as shades of blue, yellow, gray, or even black. Rouge is a deposit on the finished part caused by welding and must be removed to avoid bacteria from lodging with the particulate, and the cause of the rouge must be determined to prevent further process contaminations. And back in, back in, in the, like I say, in the 80s, there was no standardization on fittings or valves or, or anything. And so a group of individuals got together and that were dealing with this on a daily basis, and I'm one of them, but I wasn't in, in, in the initial meetings. But, but we had to, uh, order, in, in order to weld these tubings together with an orbital welder, you have to have uh, a sulfur content in the metal that is a close match within a very tight tolerance in order for the weld to be made without getting off course. And uh, I don't even go into that, but uh, that was one of the issues we had. So whenever we bought uh, material, we had to say that it had to stay within the same heat number, either be the same heat number or close uh, to a sulfur content tolerance. And uh, so when BPE, when the group started this, this standard, uh, they started developing this, and once they once they got a uh, uh, had a basically had direction to set up a proposal of what this thing was going to look like, they approached ASME and said, "Okay, we would like to create this standard, and this is bioprocessing equipment standard, and uh, these are all the things that we want to include in this standard." And so ASME said, "Sounds great. Go ahead and." Uh, find some people, so they sent out letters to people that wanted to join the group and, as members and uh, had a good response, and so it just kind of grew from there. So that's one way that a standard gets created, and, and most of them are like that. And uh, the B3112 was the same way. They somebody, somebody determined that we needed a standard on hydrogen piping. And so they put together a proposal, presented it to the uh, board on ASME, and uh, they got to go ahead and created that standard. So that's where they come from. They come from a need that's not filled right now. And, uh, and there's more going to be coming, I'm sure. <laughs> and, uh, how often do you review, revise, and republish? We're constantly reviewing the standard. And uh, we revise it uh, and issue it every two years. And 
there's one period that we uh, we went three years before we published another standard, but it's typically two years, and that's the same thing with the B31 standards. Not all of them, but most of them, and uh, and the barley code as well. That's uh, that's a twice a year episode. So, and you pull all this stuff together, and then uh, like we have we have to have uh, everything in that we're going to change and approve, balloted and approved uh, by this January in order for it to get into the 2024 edition. Yeah. And then it goes through all this editing at ASME and then they send it back to us and we find out, you know, make sure that they got everything correct. And then we send, send those remarks back to them and then they send us proofs to say, okay, this is what we've settled on. Is this right? And then we get that one last look at the proofs and we say, okay, it's good. So they'll put it in the queue to get printed. And issued. And what's the basis of, of most changes? Um, there's there's really not uh, not a single basis for anything. It just comes from uh, like I, I mentioned earlier from members that are constantly looking through this uh, through the book. And it comes from inquiries, uh, readers and users that uh, that don't understand what it says and want want to be clear on what it says, mm -hmm. and so that spawns us to okay, look at what they're having trouble with, and if, if it indeed is not clear, then we'll correct it, and then we'll bow it. That goes through the same process. The task group will be involved. They'll put together proposals or rewrite that section, put it out for a ballot, and vote on it. So, But, yeah, there's no, uh, yeah, no simple basis for where that stuff comes from. It's just everywhere. Yeah. Do you guys have, ever have, like, differences of opinion about what the standard should be? And, how, and if so, like, how do you guys resolve those? Uh, there's no time that we don't have issues. <laughs> I mean, and that's the and that's the purpose for bringing all these different per perspectives together and make sure it's balanced, because you get uh, I, like I, I had a task group uh, that uh, started uh, back in 2010, and it's still work being worked on, and because you got people in there that had different opinions and all that, that. Uh, kind of slow processes like that down, but sometimes it's needed. And uh, it, it points out, I mean, if you could see the comments that come back on some, and there's always comments. Nobody says, yeah, that's, that's perfect, you know. Uh, you get these comments back, and there's stuff that you may not even thought of. You say, oh, yeah, you know, because it's somebody looking at it from a different perspective. So there's always, uh, uh, it's not discord, but it's discussion and it's debate. And that, that needs to take place in order to develop a good standard. And do you guys get paid for doing this? Not a bit. <laughs> really? Okay. Oh, no. This is on everybody's own dime. Yeah. We're all volunteers. And uh, we all, I mean, a lot of people use this for networking, you know. And, uh, and that's good because, you, you know, you get to see people that, uh, uh, that you talk to on the phone all the time or whatever. And it's, so it's nice to see them face to face and talk to them. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it's it's all on our own dime. And uh, what role does the American American Society of Mechanical Engineers play? They uh, they govern the whole process. They set up, uh, and uh, you know they started back in the late eighteen hundreds, and uh, at the time, uh, steam was in wide use for factories and all that. If you'd walk into a factory back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, 
you'd see all these, you'd see these drives up in the ceiling and these belts coming down, moving machinery, whether it was saws or, or uh, sewing machines or whatever it was. So you got all these belts operating off of this steam boiler. And these steam boilers back then, there was no standard on how to build these things, how to design them, how to, de how to calculate the thickness of the metal, or even a quality metal for that matter. So uh, some engineers got together and decided that they needed to standardize on these calculations for equipment and uh, material and so forth. So uh, that developed and the first one they uh, uh, issued, the first standard they issued was on bolts <laughs> of all things. And that was the first standard they issued. But then they were working on uh, what we call now the boiler and pressure vessel code. And uh, so that's when that first started. And uh, ASME grew over the years and developed standards for, for now piping, section eight for, for equipment, and so many other codes and, and, and standards as well.